Welcome to another Sunday morning Salvation by Grace message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. Grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty.
I operate on the assumption that God's people are not offended by God's word. One of the basic principles of the Reformation were not only the five solas, but also the idea of tota scriptura, which means all of scripture. We can't leave any part of scripture out just because we find it inconvenient or uncomfortable. And so this morning, we are going to talk about what is often one of the most abused principles in the Bible. Now, I will say in advance that we do have visitors in the room. And just because we're talking about giving this morning doesn't mean I'm targeting you. Okay? (laughs) But we are going to talk about giving, you know, for the last... Oh, half a year or more, we've been doing these topical messages. And in the course of doing topical messages, we have been covering the basics of what the Christian faith is. And one of the basics in the Bible is the concept of giving. And giving versus tithing. So we are also going to talk about that. We will probably talk about the tithing aspect of it more next week. Yes, now you know this is a two-week series, so we will see how many of you return next week (laughs) after what we cover this morning. But let me tell you, giving properly taught, biblically taught, is actually one of the more freeing principles in the entire Bible. Far too often, and certainly having grown up in the church, I know this firsthand, far too often God is horribly misrepresented when the topic of giving comes up. God to be God has no needs. The God of the Bible who says that he made everything, that the cattle on a thousand hills are his, the God who says if I were hungry I would not tell you, doesn't need anything from you. And yet, the Bible is chock full of giving theology. It's a simple fact, if you just run the numbers, it's a simple fact that Jesus talked more about giving than he talked about heaven or hell. So why? Why does the Bible say so much about giving if God doesn't need anything from you? Well, then it can't be because giving in some way improves God. It must be because you need to learn to give. These are basic principles of life. If you spend your whole life here exercising that pride, that arrogance, that ego, that is the most often cited sin in the Bible, human pride is the most often cited sin in the Bible, and we are so egocentric, so self-absorbed that we just have no idea how truly egocentric and self-absorbed we really are. In fact, even when we're humble, we hope somebody saw it so that they know and can recognize how incredibly humble we are. In other words, we get so self-centered that we start thinking that everything that we accumulate in this lifetime is for us, is for our benefit, is for our good. And then we cling to it, and oftentimes we cling to it 
so heavily that it's impossible to let go of it when the time comes. So over the course of this lifetime, you're going to have opportunities to be charitable, to be kind, to learn to give, so that ultimately at the end of your life, you're prepared to let go of absolutely everything and go gain what he has prepared for you. We are referred to as joint participants with Christ in everything that God has prepared for him. Joint participation, what a wonderful concept. Joint participation with Christ. We love that idea. We are going to participate as joint heirs with Christ in everything that he's got in all of eternity. Well, before we ever become joint heirs with him, we are taught to be joint heirs with each other, to jointly participate with each other. That is one of the most common New Testament concepts, the concept of koinonia. That Greek word simply means joint participation. It just means to take care of each other, to look after each other, to be generous with each other, to be self-sacrificial toward one another. That's what koinonia is. So if you are looking forward to the idea of being joint participant in heaven, you are being prepared to be joint participant here. When you start putting that all together, when you look at how much the Bible does have to say about giving, there is old covenant giving, there is new covenant giving, and we'll talk today about new covenant giving. By the way, I have also written a book called A Guide to New Covenant Giving, which you can find for free on our website as a downloadable PDF. And in case you don't want to spend the time reading it, there's an audio version of it. I'll read it to you. <laughs> but this is just a very important concept. Now, here at Grace Christian Assembly, here at Salvation by Grace, we are very big into grace. So we're also very into grace giving. And grace giving is very different than tithing. And you're going to see that contrast as we continue looking at this and studying it out. But it is also very, very freeing. Biblically again, theologically again, what the Bible says about us is that we are incapable of doing anything that would please God. We are incapable of doing anything except sinning. In our natural human state, in our natural human condition, all we are free to do is to rebel. We're just free to continue sinning against God. God has to do something for us. He has to change us, as Tom just read. We have to be born again, and then when that happens, we are then freed to do the things that please God. And what you will find in the biblical theology of giving is that one of the things that pleases God is when you are indeed self-sacrificial. In fact, Paul says that sends a pleasing aroma up to God. Now, under the old covenant concept, under the old covenant system, there was a sacrifice that you could do that was called the sweet savor offering. 
And what a sweet savor offering was, was bringing the best of what you had and burning it, destroying it for no other reason than to demonstrate worship to God. And that sent a sweet savor, a sweet aroma, a sweet smell into the nostrils of God. Paul picks up that same concept in the New Testament and says that when you sacrificially give, you send a sweet odor, a sweet savor into the nostrils of God. So giving is something that we can do that is a positive, not only glorification of God and a type of worship toward God and an obedience toward God, but it is actually something we can do that pleases God. And we wouldn't know that had God not told us. We wouldn't understand what sort of things God expects of us had he not told us. So let's go to the Bible and start reading what the Bible actually says about giving. Now, whenever I talk about giving, I always start at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn there with me. Because 2 Corinthians 9 includes what I refer to as the escape clause. If any of you at this moment are feeling a little uncomfortable, a little iffy about the fact that Jim is talking about giving, the escape clause is right here. And I'm going to show it to you right up front. I'm going to show you the way that you can escape any obligation here. And I'm going to show you that Paul leaves it up to you. I grew up in the church that when they taught giving, they would represent God as some kind of cruel tyrant who demanded your tithes or else he was going to get you. He was going to destroy you. Or I've been to churches where they treat giving like God is some kind of flim-flam man. They're always trying to trick you into giving. And we can all think of examples of that. Turn on the TV any day. I won't name names, but let's just say that their initials are T and a B and an N in that order. You, you can go there any day and watch the trickery that they go through to try to get you to give. The idea of a love gift, you send us some money, we'll send you something back. That's not giving, that's a purchase. <laughs> you've seen the thing, you want the thing, you send the money, they send it back to you. You've bought something from them. Biblical giving treats God as honorable, as worth it. That is where the word worship comes from. It is a contraction of two old English words, worth-ship. And you are demonstrating the value, the worth of God in your life by the fact that you are willing to give. Now, when I say giving, when I represent God as teaching giving, I am not saying simply money. I'm saying give of your time, give of your talents, Give of your ability. If you see somebody hungry, feed them. If you see somebody thirsty, give them a cup of cold water. Be kind to people. Be good to people. Be sacrificially generous to other people. And then also support the gospel. But giving is actually a way of life. Giving is a mode of thinking. It is not simply come into the church and then we're going to Pick your pocket. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that people, by and large, are so afraid to come to churches. 
They're so afraid that when they get here, the preacher's going to try to pick their pocket. And as you all know, we don't even pass a plate. You know, Rick Caldwell is sitting back there, and there now it's on tape. But when we were talking during the interview, he said that the first time he was here, he was surprised that we didn't pass the plate. We didn't take up an offering. We just have a box on a wall over there, and if you feel motivated to give, you give. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't want to know what anybody gives. I don't want to start favoring people who give more than people who give less. I don't want to know what anybody gives. Tom knows. Tom knows what each and every one of you give. Micah knows. So, you know, be friends with them. But let's start reading in 1 Corinthians 9, and then we'll talk about Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth. You mean 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 9. Yes, that's what I meant. Thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 1. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. He's talking about giving. He is going to go to Jerusalem. Here's the background. He's going to Jerusalem to take money to the poor saints at Jerusalem. And so while passing through Corinth, he is going to collect money from the church at Corinth and then take it to the poor saints at Jerusalem because the Jerusalem saints, don't forget, are primarily Jewish, converted, believing saints. And as a result of their adhering to the things of Christ, they've been thrown out of the temple. Oftentimes their businesses have been shut down. They're being persecuted. And so it is right that the Gentile churches, according to Paul, it is right that they support the church in Jerusalem because, after all, it is the saints in Jerusalem who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. And so it is only proper, it is only fitting that the Gentile churches then would support the church at Jerusalem. So it's superfluous to me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, that, as I was saying, you might be prepared, lest if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, should be put to shame by this confidence we have in you. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift that the same might be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness, not affected by greed, human desire, self-desire to care for yourself. Verse 6 then, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Notice what Paul just did there. He just said that giving to the necessity of the saints, being a part of the collection that he was taking to Jerusalem, 
reflected not only on their faith in God, but that God himself would respond to that gift by caring for them. And because they gave the gift, they would then reap bountifully because they had sowed bountifully. In other words, give a little, get a little. Give bountifully, get bountifully. That is what Paul is teaching the Corinthians here because he is encouraging them to create a bountiful collection for the saints at Jerusalem. But look at verse 7. This is what I call the escape clause. You can memorize it, and then every time for the rest of your life that a preacher tries to get money out of you, you can just quote this scripture to them. Let each one of you do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, let's break that down a little bit. First off, every one of you, whatever it is you decide in your heart, whatever it is that you purpose in your heart, that's what you're supposed to give. And not under compunction. You're not to do it grudgingly, Because God likes hilarious giving. The word that is translated there as cheerful is the Greek word hilaris. It is the word from which we get hilarious. God loves cheerful giving. This is one of the few places in the Bible where you see God eulogize a certain type of person. There is a kind of person that God loves. And God loves cheerful givers. But then also notice that it says, not under compunction. Not under compulsion, not doing it because you have to or you feel pressured into it or we have a building program going on right now or we have some reason why you have to give right now because you're under threat that God's going to get you if you don't do it. How often, I've just made fun of several different ways that people try to raise money in a church, they either start a program and and want you to give into their giving program in order to build some kind of project, or they tell you that you've got to tithe and that if you don't tithe, you've got God's money in your pocket and that makes you a thief and a robber. All of those things are compulsion. If I say I'm going to give you a gift if you give me some money, that's compulsion. I'm advertising to you. There is only one good reason, according to Paul here, only one good reason for anybody to give to the church, in this case the church in Jerusalem, there's only one good reason for anybody to give to the church here in Smyrna. There's only one good reason to do it. It's because you love God and you decide that God is valuable to you and that the teaching you get here is worth something to you. And so the same way that you spend your money to buy a pair of shoes because you find them worth it to you, you find the word of God and the teaching of God as being worth it to you And that is the reason that you give. But then you should do it because you purpose that in your heart and then do it cheerfully. Then do it happily. If you're about to put money in the box over there, but you're not sure you really want to, keep your money. I'm not trying to get money out of you. Now, Tom and Micah, our two deacons, may not like this next thing I'm going to say. But as far as I know, and they can correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I know, 
We're fine financially. GCA is fine financially. We will survive and go on without your money. But more importantly, you need to know, you need to learn how to give, how to give freely, how to give because of the grace that God has given you, and then how to respond graciously and cheerfully. And if you can't do it that way, you don't really understand what giving is biblically yet. Wait until you know. Wait until you've been taught. Wait until you've really learned the word of God, and then you will most graciously, you will become a giver. So that's why I don't pound on people about money. In 19 years of being here at GCA, this is one of the very, very few times that I have taught on giving. And you managed to be here on that Sunday. And so again, I, let's continue reading in chapter 9. Let each one do as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Wouldn't you like to go through the rest of your life having sufficiency in everything? Whatever it is you need, clothes or food or a place to live, a car to drive, you're always going to have sufficiency through the rest of your life. Wouldn't you like to have that? Well, here Paul linked it to giving and giving generously. He just used the word bountifully here. Giving generously is the only way that you can claim this particular promise to yourself. So often people will take this out of context and say, God is going to provide for your every need. Except that when Paul says it, he actually puts it in the context of your giving and your generosity. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Notice also what he is saying. He is saying it is God who provides everything for you, including whatever abundance you have, and the reason that God gives you an abundance is not so that you can store it away, lock it up, put it in the bank, make sure that you've got it for a rainy day. The reason that God gives you abundance to overflowing in everything is so that you have something to do good deeds with. You have something to give. You have something to buy food for your hungry neighbor. You have something so that you can help when people have a time of need. And you can give because you have an abundance. As it is written, verse 9, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Paul grabs that phrase out of the old covenant and he applies it here because he says this is the way God has always been. God has always advocated for taking care of the poor. He has always advocated for sharing what he gives you. He has always advocated it, but then it is also, according to Paul here, it is also part of the righteousness of God that he gives generously, he scatters abroad, he gives everybody everything they need, 
And then he gives to the poor, he takes care of the poor, and that is all part of the righteousness of God. Therefore, if we are reflecting the righteousness of God, if we are reflecting the character of God, we're also willing to scatter abroad and to help the poor and to be kind and generous. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing And increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, for all kindness, for all giving. That's the reason you're going to be enriched in everything. Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now what Paul has just described is. You Corinthians are going to be kind in the way that you fill the bounty of this gift that I'm going to take to Jerusalem. But when I get to Jerusalem and give them the gift, the thanks is going to go to God. God is going to get the thanks for your kindness, for your liberality, for your giving. In other words, it is a reflection of God the way you are being liberal in your kindness to other people you don't even know. The people in Corinth didn't know the church at Jerusalem, and yet they were willing to help because they were fellow saints of the Lord. And because of that help, thankfulness was going to go to God. So big picture. God gives you, what's that word? Everything. God gives you everything. Whatever you've got, whether it is just barely enough to get by or if it is abundance. He gives you all of it, and he doesn't just give it to you so that you can store it up to yourself. He gives it to you so that you have the ability to be kind, to be giving, to be generous to other people so that your kindness and your generosity reflects him and the people who receive the gift give thanks to God. So God starts by providing for you so that the end result is He gets the praise. God is always, how often have you heard me say this, God is always in the enterprise of glorifying himself. And giving is just one more aspect of that. It's just one more example of how God glorifies himself through his people. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, And increase the harvest of your righteousness. And will be enriched in everything for all liberality. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. But is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. That's the reason we give. The reason that we give, the reason that we're kind, the reason we're generous to people is so that God gets the glory. Let me see if I can personalize the example for just a moment. I don't know anymore how many years it's been. It's been at least a decade. Do you have any idea how long we've been giving to Bobby? Is it 10 years, 12 years? More than 10, probably about 12 or 13. Okay. So we've been taking care of this orphanage over in India. And you know how we've been doing it? We've been doing it out of the abundance that has flowed through this church. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason that I call it the abundance is we send money to orphans in India every single month. And you know what? We've still got money in the bank. And the lights are still on and the air conditioning's still sort of working. <laughs> and we're all comfortable. Why? Because God has provided for this little church in Smyrna in such a way that for a dozen years or so now, we've been able to provide the basics to a whole handful of kids in India. They don't get shirts. They don't get flip-flops on their feet, not even shoes. They don't get sandals. They don't get food, which is just an abundance of rice is pretty much what they buy every month. And then it's a treat if they get some fruits and vegetables and some kind of good meats. And we provide that for them by our giving to them, and we give out of our abundance. And you know who they thank? God. They thank God. They don't thank Tom. They don't thank GCA. I mean, they're thankful that we're doing this, but they end up praising God. They end up thanking God. So God is getting the glory for the fact that he has worked through your collective hearts to be generous to these boys, you're probably never, ever going to meet this side of heaven. See how it works? It's this big cycle in which God is getting glory for himself. Through many thanksgivings to God, verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, every time you see that word ministry here, it means by the way that you are giving to the saints in Jerusalem. You are ministering to their needs. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. Notice what he just said. He just equated giving with your obedience to the gospel of Christ. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that will make you a giver, which is a demonstration to God that you are being obedient to the character of God, the nature of God, the grace of God, the generosity of God. Look, let's, one more time, big picture. God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is a very giving God. He gave you everything you have, including the fact that you know your own name, got up today and put on some relatively clean clothes, and got yourself to church. That's because God gave you all that. Every bit of it, every little iota of it, he gave you all that. He's a very giving God. He is so giving, in fact, that he gave his son to sacrifice in order to save you. He's a very giving God. He's a God who was willing to sacrifice his son rather than put you into outer darkness and justifiable condemnation and judgment forever. Instead, he gave his son. He's a really, really giving God. His son came to the planet and gave his life. He's a really, really giving son. When he came, he walked around giving people health. He gave sight to the blind. He gave the ability to walk to crippled people. He gave the miracles of God to people. He gave us the teaching that we are even looking at today. He gave us the very 
Word of God, because he was the incarnate Word of God, he exegeted God to us. He explained God to us in ways that we could never have known any other way than him telling us about it. He gave and he gave and he gave. He took, when it was time to pay taxes, he took a gold coin out of a fish's mouth and then paid everybody's tax. He's really giving. He was giving in money. He was giving in his talents and his ability. He was giving in his gifts. He was giving in his miracles, and he ultimately gave his life. He gave his back to the whip. He gave his brow to the crown of thorns. He gave his hands to the nails that nailed him to the cross. He gave his blood in sacrifice for you. He's a very giving son. And he said, if I go not away, then the Spirit won't come. He gave up his life so that the Holy Spirit would come to you. And the Holy Spirit came and inhabited you. And that is a very giving gift by the Father and the Son. And that Spirit of God that resides in you is then a reflection of God, a very giving Spirit of God who gives you eternal life, who gives you faith, who gives you repentance, who gives you the ability, the eyesight, the ability to understand what is in the Word of God. The only reason that you have any comprehension of the things of God is because the Holy Spirit gave it to you. Are you getting a feel for this yet? A very giving God, a very giving son, a very giving spirit who's inside you and then you are the one that stops the giving? You're the one that bottles it up and says, well, it's all about me. Yes, God gave, the son gave, the spirit gave, but it got to me and it's really all about me and therefore I don't need to give. That is why Paul could say it is a demonstration of your obedience to the gospel that you yourself would be a giver. That is a demonstration that you are obedient to what you have learned and to what you know. Because the proof given by this ministry, through that ministry, they do glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. So far, Paul has used the word bountiful. He's used the word liberality. He's really encouraging them to give sacrificially and give out of their abundance and recognize how God has already blessed them and then bless other people with the bounty that they've received from God. But notice what Paul does not do. He does not assume that among those who have learned the word of God, he does not assume that any of them will not be givers. He assumes they all will be. He's encouraging them to be liberal. He's encouraging them to be bountiful. But he knows for a fact that they all are going to give. Now, in a moment, I'm going to demonstrate to you that it's not about how much. But it is about that being part of your character, that you're willing to give. Let's finish reading this chapter. We're about done, and then we'll move on. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God gets all the glory. God gets the praise. God gets the worship. God gets the thanksgiving because of this indescribable gift of giving that he has given to us by his spirit. Amen. 
Okay, now if that was the only passage in the Bible that said anything about giving, it would be sufficient for us to understand that Christianity is about giving. But that just scratches the surface. I'm actually, if I only take two weeks to teach through this, it's going to be really a, a very quick survey of what the Bible says about giving. Because, as I said, the Bible talks about it a lot. But I am going to just emphasize the highlights so that you understand not only the obedience to the gospel that is part of giving, but that you also understand that it's to your benefit. It's part of freeing you from this world and from your possessions to recognize the glory, the value, the worth of God in your life. Now, we just read out of the book of Corinthians, and Paul had a rather checkered history with the church at Corinth. Oftentimes, people will point out that while Paul was in Corinth, he worked as a tent maker. And so they will say, well, see, that is my demonstration, that is my example, that Christian pastors ought to work for a living and then preach for free, that even if people give money to a church, a pastor should not take any of that money. They should work with their own hands. So let's see if I can respond to that just a little bit with Paul's own words here, because in Corinth, it's one of the few places that you see Paul ever say, that he was wrong. Paul, no place else, will admit, oh yeah, that thing I taught you, that, that was wrong. But Paul does say to the Corinthians, I was wrong about that. I was wrong because I was no burden to you. And so you didn't learn how to give. And all the other churches learned how to give, and you didn't learn it because I didn't show it, because I didn't want to be a burden to you. And then he goes so far as to say, I robbed other churches so that I wouldn't have to be a burden to you. Strong language from Paul to say, I robbed other churches. What he means is, I took gifts from all these other churches so that I wouldn't have to take money from you. And the reason was that Paul didn't want anybody at Corinth to be able to claim that he was in it for the money. But then he ends up saying at the end of 2 Corinthians, forgive me this wrong because I haven't been a burden to you. So let's look at it so that you don't just take my synopsis of it and think, well, Jim just said that because Jim's trying to pick my pocket. See, I knew. I knew if I waited long enough that he was going to try to get money out of me so that he could get rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Go there. We'll start there. He asks a question of them. He says, starting in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 11, 7, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And I will continue to do so. 
So do you understand the relationship that Paul just developed there? He says to the Corinthians, the reason when I was in need that I didn't become a burden to you was because the churches from Macedonia supplied for my need time and again. He's referring to churches like the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus with a gift to Paul even when Paul ended up in house arrest in Rome so that Paul would say, I didn't need the gift. I don't require the gift, but you need to give. I accept the gift because it bears fruit to your account. So for your sake and your need to learn this, even though I don't have a need, I mean, for heaven's sake, he was in prison, but even though I don't have a need, you did well in that you did communicate, you did koinonia, you did joint participate with me time and time again. And so to this day, we refer to the Philippian letter as the joy letter because Paul was happy that the church in Philippi resumed its giving yet again. At the end of 2 Corinthians 12, 13, we're going to look at Philippians in a moment, but at the end of 2 Corinthians 12, 12, 13, Paul says this, For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. So Paul admits that he was wrong for not having been a burden to the church in Corinth. He essentially stunted their Christian growth in not teaching them how to give. All right, now turn to Philippians. I'm in Philippians 4. I'm starting at verse 15. This is Paul writing a joy letter to the very people who were providing for him even while he was in Corinth, even as the Corinthian church was not giving to him. By the way, I should back up and say, one of the primary motivations for why Paul didn't take money while he was in Corinth was that Corinth was just chock full of temples to idols, and every one of them was trying to get money for their temple, for their God. Every one of them was overemphasizing the necessity of sacrifice and giving to their particular idol, their particular God. And Paul didn't want Jesus to be shoehorned into that pantheon of existing idols. Instead, he wanted Jesus Christ to stand away from all those idols. And because it would be so easy for people to make that equation, if Paul came in and preached the Jewish Messiah and then immediately said, and now you need to give me something. And so he just refused to take anything from Corinth. But he didn't refuse to take anything from the other churches who provided for him while he was in Corinth. Philippians 4, starting at verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared. You see that word shared right there? That's the word koinonia. That's that word I've been talking about. That's that joint participation thing. After I left Macedonia... No church, koinonia, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, 
but you alone. For even at Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, for I seek for the profit which increases to your account. So why was Paul teaching giving? Why is the Bible teaching giving? Why are we teaching giving here at GCA? Because in the end, it's not about money. In the end, we're not trying to get rich. I mean, ever since we moved into this building and own all that land out there, and we have everything paid off. We don't owe anybody anything, and we haven't for a long, long time because of the astounding generosity of people who were part of the founding of this church. And yet for all these years, we've said, you know, we really need to build a building over here. We really need to build a building where people aren't sitting all the way back there, where we can all be together in here. We, we would really like to build a building. We've got the land. We have the ability. We ought to build a building. You know why we haven't? Because we haven't had the money to do it. And yet, we have never raised money for that. We have never campaigned for that. We have never tried to pick your pockets for that. Because as I keep saying, in the end, it's not about the money. It's about your spiritual well-being. It's about your growth in Christianity. It's about your understanding of who Christ is and who God is in your life. It's about the fact that God has given you everything and you bring back some of what he's given to you as a demonstration of the value of having him in your life. Paul says here, it's not that I seek the gift. I don't need the gift, says Paul. I'm not seeking the gift, but I seek for the profit that increases to your account. That's why he teaches giving. That's why we teach giving, so that there is profit to your account. That's why I began this morning by saying, God to be God has no needs. So then why does he teach you to give? Because it's good for you. And it is profitable to you. It increases your heavenly account. But I have received, says Paul, I've received the gift, and I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. People ask me frequently, how do I please God? What can I do that is pleasing to God? Paul just right here picked up that Old Testament concept of the sweet savor offering, moved it into the new covenant and said, when you give generously, when you learn to give, that sends a sweet aroma into the nostrils of God and he is well pleased with you because of your giving, your generosity, because it is a reflection of God in your life. It is a reflection of the value of God and your estimation of what he has done for you. And so he sees it as not only an abundant increase into your account, but he sees it as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. And then in that context, in the giving context, he then says, 
And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So you're not really allowed to say that you know that God is going to supply all your needs according to the riches in glory of Christ Jesus unless you're saying it within the context of giving. Okay, now I'm going to say something somewhat controversial. Because that would be so unlike me. (laughs) Nobody has ever gone broke because of their overabundant giving to God. Now understand what I just said and what I didn't say. What I didn't say is, as long as you're giving to God, you'll never go broke. That's not what I said. Because I have seen people who give to their church and then make really bad investments and go broke and then blame God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as long as you are giving in abundance to God, God is faithful to give back to you. If you are giving the way that the Bible says to give, if you're giving generously in worship to God, God is going to supply for all your needs. Paul just said it. It's in the word of God. The promise is right here. My God is going to supply all your needs according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He is going to supply for your needs as you continue to give kindly, graciously, abundantly. Make sense? Yes, Turn to 1 Corinthians 9 for just a moment. Here is another principle that I want you to understand. 1 Corinthians 9. Have I lost anybody yet? No. Okay. Is there anybody who would rather... Okay, that's enough, Jim. Go back to the doctrines of grace. We like that stuff. (laughs) Go back to that election stuff. We We like that. We like to know all that stuff that God did for us. Don't be burdening us with what we're supposed to do in response. But if you can ever understand biblical giving correctly, it's remarkably freeing. Because I grew up in the church of give by compulsion. And then I started reading the Bible for myself and found out that there's this tremendous freedom in the Bible. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. That's remarkable freedom. So I like the biblical description of giving. 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 1. Paul is arguing for his own freedom and liberty to people who were trying to put him in bondage and judge him for his behavior. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And are you not our work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working, physical work? We ought to be supported, he says. 
Because who at any time, as a soldier, goes at his own expense? If you got a draft notice tomorrow and you had to go join up with the army, but they told you that you also had to pay rent in the barracks, you'd object. You'd say, well, that's not right. Especially if they said, oh, yeah, and buy and bring your own uniform. And a gun would probably be helpful. Who at any time, as a soldier, goes toward his own expense? Or who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends the flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Now, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say the same things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Now, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake. It was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing in the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share this right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. So, Paul just created an equation. He just said, if I bring you spiritual realities, if I'm teaching you spiritual things that you wouldn't know had I not brought them to you, is it a big deal if I share in your food? If I need a cloak, wouldn't you give me a cloak? If I need support to get to the next city, wouldn't you give me the money for that support? Is it a big thing if I participate jointly in your material wealth because, after all, you have already shared in my spiritual things. Do you see the equation that he draws? Mm -hmm. If God has been good to you, if God has taught you these spiritual things, is it too much to expect you to share materially, not only with the one that teaches, but with the church itself that is putting that gospel forward so that you yourself would hear it? Now, he does personalize it a little bit more and he does end up saying let him that is taught in the word share materially koinonia with the one that teaches but I'm not going to stump too much on that particular verse because at some point somebody will say there it is there's the hook Jim's trying to get money out of us but you know what the Bible says it the Bible says, let him that is taught in the word share materially with him that teaches. I've never really exercised that either. I don't go around to your houses and go, what do you got for me? <laughs> but you know what? According to the Bible, you owe me. 19 years I've been teaching you the word of God. And if you've been taught, and that's the thing, if you've been taught, if you have gain some spiritual value from the things you've been taught here. And I'm going to assume that the reason you've come back more than once is because you learned something. Well, then the Bible's very clear. And here I go being controversial again. 
Does that sound like a directive when Paul says, let him who is taught in the word share materially with him that teaches? Does that sound like a directive? Because it is. It is a directive of how you are supposed to respond to the one that teaches. And yet that is perhaps one of the most ignored directives in the Bible. Because there's a whole lot of people out there listening to us on the internet who do hear, who do learn, who are gaining spiritually, and we never receive anything from them. I'm just going to let that sit right there. Now it's said, are we still friends? I'll let that be. Let's talk about this giving in action, this koinonia in action. I'm still in 1 Corinthians. I'm in chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, it says right at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches at Galatia, so do you also. See, wherever Paul went, he taught the churches to give. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it is fitting for me to go also, then I will go with them. They will go with me. So here is Paul saying that giving is also supposed to be systematic. He said, on the first day of the week, every week. So he expects that it's not a one-and-done thing. It's not like you can ever say, there, I gave, I'm done now. I stuck 10 bucks in the box, and then I spent 20 bucks at lunch. But, you know, I gave. Oh, Romans 15, starting at verse 25, says, But now I am going to Jerusalem, I am serving the saints. This is him going to Jerusalem to take the money there that he has raised from the other churches in order to bring it to the saints at Jerusalem. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, and they were pleased to do so because they are indebted to them. In what way, Paul? In what way are the Gentile churches indebted to the church at Jerusalem? For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, so they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. And so this concept of if you have gained spiritual things, you owe material things, is a principle that keeps coming up. In Paul's mind, that's a very solid concept. He keeps saying, if you have gained spiritually, you owe. You owe Israel, you owe the Jews, you owe Jewish saints in Jerusalem because the word got to you, because it first got to them, and then it went out to you, therefore you owe them. The same way that Paul would say, if you've been taught in the word, that you owe Giving is very private. I said that earlier. Giving is a private affair between you and God. I am already running out of time. Are you getting tired of this? No. Are you glad I'm running out of time? No. <laughs> in Matthew 6, this is a, a very common, well-known story. But in Matthew 6, I'm just going to read two verses, three verses. 
Jesus was watching people put money in the treasury in Jerusalem because Jesus knows what people give. And it was not presumptive of Jesus to sit and watch people give and to know what people gave. But then he mentions that the Pharisees gave in a way where they got no benefit from it. They got no spiritual benefit from it. They made a big deal of it. They blew trumpets before they gave so that everybody would see them giving. They made a big deal of their giving, and Jesus ended up saying, they got their reward. Their reward is other people saw them do it. And so they got nothing spiritually. They got nothing eternally. They get nothing from God because he already... And that's the context in which he says... Do your giving privately. Do your giving secretly. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give your alms. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So that's why we do private giving here. That's, again, why the box on the wall and why nobody else gets to watch you give. Because it's between you and God. So... Matthew 6, starting at verse 2, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. What does that word in full mean? It means they get nothing else. They got the praise of men. But when you do your alms, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then picking up in Luke 21, 1 to 4, same thing, Jesus watching people giving at the treasury. He looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury and he saw a poor widow putting two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty gave all that she had to live on. So I've been saying and saying and saying, it's not about how much. It's about your heart. It's about your intention. It's about the demonstration of the value of God in your life. This woman gave what added up to less than our modern penny. And yet, Jesus said, she gave more than everybody else. Did she give numerically, financially more than everybody else? No. But she gave everything she had, and that's what made it more than everybody else. So again, the value of giving, according to Jesus here, is that it is a demonstration of having God in your life, and it's not about the amount of money. It's not about making the church rich. It's not about making sure that other people see your liberality. It's not about showing off. It's not about demonstrating that you've got more than anybody else. It is about one thing only. It's about showing, demonstrating the glory of God, the value of God, the worth of God in your life. It's a spiritual enterprise in the end. Yes, the money that you give keeps the lights on and 
keeps the air conditioning running. So yes, there is a financial side to your giving. But your giving collectively is what keeps that going. What you give individually is between you and God. Back once again to that phrase, that very important clause, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. I call it the escape clause, but it is also the definition of what giving is in Christianity. It is no longer giving under compulsion like the tithe, the demands of the tithes and the sacrifices and the first fruits and the wave offering and the sheave offering. And only after you had done all of that could you begin to enter into votive offerings and, and actually giving anything. First you had to do all the required stuff, which we'll get into next week. But giving privately, giving independently, giving generously is actually a spiritual enterprise between you and God that demonstrates the value of the teaching of God's word, that demonstrates the value of the Holy Spirit in your life, that demonstrates the value of God and his promise through his son that he's going to save you eternally. And in the end, no matter what you have and no matter how much you have, you're leaving it all behind. And so laying up treasures in heaven seems like a much more valuable enterprise than laying up treasures here on earth. I really am very nearly done. That term, very nearly, is flexible. I just, I want you to know. Giving is good for you. It teaches you to recognize God's provision, and you use what he has provided for you to worship him. Galatians 6, I'm just going to read 6 to 10, and we will call it a morning. The one who is taught in the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In that context, what would the mocking be? Yeah, not giving. Not, not giving the one who taught you. Not giving to the one who has shared the material things with you. The one who is taught in the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And look, I'm saying that and I'm showing it to you so that you know it's in the word of God. I'm not saying it to try to put you under compunction or compulsion to provide for me. GCA has been very good to me. I have no complaints. Tom, have we ever had an argument about money? Never. I live on whatever the church gives me. I'm cheap to keep, fortunately. <laughs> but whatever the church gives me, yes, sir. I'm a witness. Oh, he, he's a witness that I'm cheap to keep. So again, I don't read verses like the one who is taught in the word is to share in all good things with the one that teaches him. I'm not reading it for my benefit. I'm reading it for your benefit. I'm reading it so that you know what the word says. So that you know that it's in there. And then God says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, so also he's going to reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, 
all that abundance that God has given you, the things that God has provided for you, if you just sow that on your own flesh, your own ego, we're right back where we began again. If you're back to your own self-sufficiency again because of the things that God has provided for you, well, this is going to be the result. You're going to reap corruption. You can sow to yourself, but let's be honest, you're corrupt. And then you're just going to reap the corruption that you've already sown. But to the one who sows to the Spirit, he will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Okay, how do you sow to the Spirit? Contextually, it's right there in front of you. You sow to the Spirit when you give. Especially when you give because you've been taught. So let us not lose heart in doing good. In context, that means keep giving the rest of your life. It's not a one and done thing. For in due time you will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we may have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those of the household of faith. So then right now while we have opportunity, so then right now in our life while we're doing okay and we have abundance, right now while we have opportunity, do good. Do good to people. Do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Be kind, be generous, be giving to each other. Share not only in the word of God, but in the material things that God has provided for you, recognizing and knowing that it is God who is the source of everything you've got. Does that make sense? Yes. Are we still friends? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that I didn't run anybody off, but that's why I began by saying God's people are not put off by God's word. And that's what God's word says about giving. Now, whenever we talk about giving, invariably the subject of tithing comes up. So next week we are going to look at tithing. What is tithing? Who does tithing belong to? That's also going to get us into Old Covenant and New Covenant distinctives. And ultimately we are going to see that the church is not under the tithing requirements, despite the fact that you can go right up the road either direction and you will find churches that publicly teach tithing. Do I know that for a fact? Oh, I do. <laughs> and uh, oftentimes that is motivated by the fact that they have so much expenditure, so much overhead, they've put themselves so much in debt that they have to keep pounding on people for money, and the best way to get money out of people is through fear. And so they use the tithing passages to put the fear of God in people in order to pick their pocket. We don't do that because that's not biblical. All right? There, now if you skip next week, you know what next week's about. I've already told you. I just synopsized it. So if you want the details, show up next week. Are there questions? You mentioned uh, the orphanage. And it's been a while since I've explained how the orphanage funding is done, so I'm sure some of you don't know it and haven't heard it before. But what we do is we promise them each month that they will get $550 from GCA that they will send and they will get. That money comes from earmark money that comes from your checks 
down to the bottom in the memo, it could, you might put something for India for that check. If you want to specifically give it a check to India, you could also do that in uh, paper, put that in an envelope for cash money, and also PayPal. There are people on PayPal who give and earmark that also for India. We pile that all together and add whatever GCA funds are needed to reach the 550 so they know that each month, even if the earmark is real low, they'll get at least 550 from us and they can budget accordingly for the boys' orphanage. Now, if the earmarking is above that, then they get all of it. All that earmarking goes to them, and my next bunch that I will send to them will be at least $1,500 instead of the normal 550. So that's how money goes to India from GCA, and, and that's how it's been handled all this time. And I got a letter from Bobby just this morning. And he does praise God for the work that GCA has done consistently all these years. And we became familiar with them, however many years ago that was, because a church in Oregon, Oregon I was going to say Portland, yeah, was supporting them, and that church couldn't financially keep doing it. I don't even think that church exists anymore. We picked up the obligation, and we just ran with it. And all these years later, it was supposed to be a one-time thing. Where it was a one-time gift on my birthday 12 years ago or 13 years ago or whatever. I never expected that it was going to continue like this. But it is your kindness and generosity that has allowed it to continue like that. So thank you all for that. Anything else? All right, good. Grab a hymnal. Turn to 205. I was thinking about tithing. The first line of this song is free from the law, oh, happy condition. So that will also tell you part of what we're going to talk about next week. Once for all, let's sing. Free from the law.
you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We invite you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for weekly updates, books, Q&As and our ever-expanding audio archive. Join us again next time as we delve into the Word of God and study His sovereign grace.